So, have any of you been following the circus that is the election 2016? You know, it's one of those things I, I hear, well, I don't know if I, yeah, I hear this, but I also see it on Facebook all the time and all the other social media feeds. If, and I'll, and I'll go both ways, all right? So don't get offended. <laughs> if Trump wins, I'm moving to Canada or Mexico or somewhere else. And someone else will say, if Hillary wins, I'm moving to Canada or Mexico. <laughs> and it's this sense, it's this idea that we all follow something or someone. And if it's anything outside of what we've chosen to follow, then we're going to say that it's wrong and it's terrible. And as I get up here and I preach every single Saturday, and I will preach this until Election Day and after, is that regardless whether it's Hillary or whether it's Donald who win, it doesn't really matter because in the end, Jesus is king. And as Christians, we don't need our political systems to do anything for us necessarily because we live for a kingdom that is present here and it's all around us regardless of who's president. It's a kingdom that begins at the initiation of Jesus' resurrection, and it is a kingdom that will last into all eternity, which is why we gather on Saturday mornings. We gather to read from the Bible because we believe that the person who we follow is better than any president or congressman or senator right, or woman. That the one whom we follow, the Bible tells us, is faithful to us even when we are not faithful to him. We gather, we sing these songs together in worship and in praise to the God who is good. And so this morning as we talk about who and what we follow, what's important to note is that every single one of you chooses to follow something, some ideology, some philosophy, some religion, or someone, whether it's yourself, whether it's your husband or your wife, whether it's a president or a leader, every single one of you is following something or someone. And I am here because I am preaching that I believe that the best person to follow is Jesus, that the best possible way to live is following in the footsteps of Jesus. So let us pray as we get started. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that we get to gather together. We are thankful for all the friends and family who are here this morning, and we just pray that for the next few moments, that as we dig into Scripture and what's been true for thousands of years, we just pray that you would give us fresh eyes to see passages that we have read hundreds of times. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you in your name. Amen. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles, if you have them, to Matthew chapter 16. And um, I, we will have it on the screen. We're reading from the New Revised Standard Version this morning. Matthew 16. And this is one of those passages where if, if you've read the Bible and if you're familiar with it, especially if you've read the words of Jesus, Jesus often says things that are really difficult for us to stomach. You know what I mean? Jesus, you know, sometimes we think that Jesus was this, you know, super loving guy and everything was cool. And, it, and he is. But if we stop and look at the teachings of Jesus, they're very specific. The teachings of Jesus require a lot from us. Sometimes what Jesus asks us and teaches us and instructs us to do is actually really, really difficult, right? Yeah, Jesus' teachings are not easy. 
They are hard, but they are not heavy. You see, there's a difference between something being difficult and something being heavy. Things that are difficult, we do all the time. If you're a student, you go to school and you study really hard because you want to get that 4.0 GPA. And so even though it's hard to study sometimes, you still do it. For those of you who are into fitness and like to look fit, sometimes going to the gym and working out or all that other stuff is hard, right? Right? Eating healthy is hard. That's like the hardest thing for me to do. So, you know, but the truth is, is that things that are hard aren't necessarily burdensome. And the teachings of Jesus are hard, but they are not heavy. And this morning, we're looking at a passage of Jesus where it's, it's going to call us to really, it's one of those gut check moments in our lives where we have to really define where we are in our relationship with Jesus. And so this is what he says. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone, if, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Remember how I said that everyone chooses to follow someone or something? And so I want to look at the idea of the cross. And for those of you who have been in church for many years, you know that the cross is the vehicle on which Jesus died. In the first century, the cross wasn't just a way of, of execution, but it was a way to humiliate you. It was a way to put you on display to let everyone know that if you oppose the Roman Empire, your end, your fate will be to hang on a cross. And so the cross was supposed to be painful. It was supposed to be humiliating. You were supposed to feel shame by hanging on there until you breathed your last breath. You know, but before Jesus gets to that place, because Jesus always knew that he was going to lay his life down for you and for me. Jesus knew that his mission on this earth was to bring redemption and reconciliation and forgiveness for all God's people. And so when Jesus says, if anyone wants to become my follower, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And so I want to give a word about the cross. You know, when we think about the cross, oftentimes I hear, I hear people say, I've heard this, and this is in bad taste, but I still, it's the only way I can say it. Like, sometimes people will refer to someone's husband or someone's wife as, oh, well, that's their cross to bear. Have you ever heard that? And so there is this negative connotation that comes with what the cross is. And oftentimes people will say, well, the cross that God is asking you to carry is kind of like that thing that's the thorn in your side, that thing that is bugging you, that coworker or that financial problem that you have or that illness. But the way that Jesus uses it is not in that way. So this, after this morning, please don't ever say that someone's wife or husband is their cross that they must bear because that's not what Jesus was referring to. Jesus was referring to something much more important and something that goes, deep into the, into the, that goes deep into the fabric of our beings. When Jesus talks about the cross, he isn't just talking about the nagging problem that you have. But when Jesus talks about the cross, the cross is your willful obedience to following Christ. To pick up your cross, and we're going to find out here in a moment, is to deny your wants, your pleasures, your desires, to want to always get your way, and instead to live a life that tries to please and honor and praise and glorify God. 
To pick up your cross means that you will live no longer just for yourself, but you will live for Jesus and for what he is calling you to do. You see, Jesus is inviting everyone to follow him. Now, I know that there is this resistance oftentimes for people to become a Christian or to become a follower of Jesus. You see, what I often hear is people say, well, if I become a Christian, and I think Karina made mention in her video, that sometimes when we think about becoming a Christian and following Jesus, we think of all the things that we're going to not be able to do anymore, right? When we think of becoming a Christian, we think about all the things that we think are fun and that we won't be able to do anymore. But you see, the reality about following Jesus is maybe God will ask you to leave some things behind. Maybe God will ask you to let some things die in your life, but it's never because God doesn't care about you, but it's always because God knows that some things in your life need to die in order for you to embrace the new reality that God is inviting you into. If you ask anybody who has made this decision to follow Jesus, I don't think anyone will tell you, well, I really miss X, Y, and Z. Instead, they will tell you about how wonderful a life is lived in fellowship and in community and in relationship with Jesus. And so the cross is a symbol, not just of Jesus's salvation for you, but the cross is the symbol. And it is the question mark in your life is, will you follow Jesus or will you continue to live by your own wills, wants, and desires? And so when Jesus says that you must deny yourself, Jesus didn't, what's hard about reading the Bible is when we read it in 2016 in the United States, when someone tells us to deny ourselves, we say, why? Why would we want to deny ourselves? We live in the best country in all the world. We can basically have almost anything that we want, and if we don't have money for it, we'll put it on credit, or we can get whatever we want. Why would we want to deny ourselves? And so the Bible butts up against the culture and the society of our time. The culture says we want more. We want more things, more money, better jobs, more power, more prestige. But the gospel says you don't need any of that to live a truly meaningful life. You know, when Jesus teaches us, it's, it's real moments of how will we define the way that we live our life. And it's what we call the paradox of Christianity. Our society tells us that we deserve more and we should get everything we want, but Jesus tells us we don't need any of those things. And so as we continue, it says, for those, Jesus says this, for those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? And so this is, this is some pretty strong language of Jesus. And so I'll break it down as simply as I can. In verse 25, where it says, those who want to save their life, the word in the Greek that is used is just means life, like your everyday going about your life, like living, breathing life. And he says, anyone. And so he uses that as a symbol and as a metaphor for if you think that all there is to life is what you can see, feel, and touch, then you're going to be sadly mistaken because there is so much more to life than just the things that you can see, feel, and touch. And then in verse 26... Oh, and then the second part of the verse, it says, those who lose their life for my sake will find it. So the first word that he uses for life is just the physical life that we see. 
The second word he uses, though, is the word in the Greek for soul. And so Jesus is making a distinction between how people live their lives. There are some people who will live just for the surface, for the getting everything they want, for doing what they want to, and just fulfilling themselves. And that's one way to live. And so Jesus' way of saying is like, if that's all you're going to live for, it's not going to be a very great and fulfilling life. Right? It's one of those things where if you, it's don't pursue money, instead pursue meaning. So Jesus says, if you're just living for the material stuff, it's going to be a very, very empty life. But he says, but if you choose to live for the deeper things, if you choose to follow me, if you, if you accept the invitation where I'm asking you to come along this journey of life, you will find true life for your soul. I think none of us would argue that our physical body is all we are, but rather we are a soul. We are a person. We have a personality and a character, and we have likes and dislikes, and that's what our soul is. And our soul is where we're able to connect with God in a way that we cannot connect in any other way. And so it doesn't mean that you have to lose your life in the physical sense where it says, well, if you lose your life, right, if you die today, then you will enter eternity with God. But it is a very real Thing in this life where Jesus is inviting you to enter into what he calls the kingdom of God, where you will learn to live in deeper and more meaningful ways. Jesus doesn't create you to just get up every morning and go to work and pay bills and come home and then wake up the next morning and repeat. You were born for more than just that. Which is why when people fall in love, they are overwhelmed with a feeling and a sense that words cannot describe. Which is why when you're with your family and your friends and you have these moments, it's why people take pictures and put them on Instagram because they want to capture the deeper things of life. And Jesus says, if you follow me, you will get to experience the deep and the beautiful things of life and of your soul. And they can be found nowhere, nowhere else. I believe that's true. And I think that if you ask anyone who is here, who has been a follower of Jesus, they will tell you that it's true. And so Jesus is here, not here, but Jesus in this text is inviting you to give him a chance and allow you, allow him to lead you down the path of life that perhaps you haven't gone before. And it's true, it's hard, right? Whenever we're starting something new, whenever we're following Jesus, it's difficult because we don't know what to expect. And so oftentimes, and this is true for all, for all of us, for most of us, not just about spiritual things, but sometimes we won't take the step or the leap outside of our comfort zone because at least we know the status quo situation that we're in, right? So what do they say? It's always better. What's the expression, Brett? It's better to stay with the evil you know. What is that? What is it? Yeah, then the one that you don't. In other ways, in other words, it's easier if you're in a terrible situation, it's easier to stay there because at least you know how to deal with it as opposed to someone inviting you into something that is new, something that promises you to have a better life. And so sometimes we don't take that step of faith because we are afraid. But there is this, this quote that I've used time and time again, and, and I use it because I don't know how to say it better. But C.S. Lewis writes, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. 
We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. So C.S. Lewis is saying, look, our desires and our passions to just satisfy the life that Jesus is talking about, right, the surface life, that, that's not enough. That's not the true life. But he says, infinite joy is offered to you, the soul kind of life. And he says, it's like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And what he's trying to say is that people, because you cannot imagine what life with Jesus is going to be like, we end up just staying and hunkering down where we are because we don't know what it's going to look like. But we know that the life of faith is one that will take you down paths that you never knew existed. So for the saints, and we use the word saints for just people who are followers of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, does that mean that you will never feel pain, suffering, or anything bad? No. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're still going to experience hardship. If you're a follower of Jesus, you will still experience suffering. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're still going to get sick. Some of you may get sicker than others. You may experience difficult times. The thing is, following Jesus isn't an insurance policy that says nothing bad will happen. Following Jesus is the assurance that though bad things may happen, you will still be filled with the joy that only God can give. Ask anyone who has gone through difficult times and they will tell you, that as hard and as painful as it is, knowing that God is by their, self, by their side makes it easier to burden whatever they're going through. And so the Bible tells us that anyone who is a follower of Jesus has now become a new creation. And the old has gone. When you choose, it, when you accept the invitation of Jesus, you get to leave your past behind and say, whatever I've done, whatever I've been, that will not define who I am in Christ. And Christians who have been Christians for many, many years struggle with this today. They choose to define, their, define themselves more by their failures and their mistakes and their sin instead of allowing to be defined by being a new creation that is made new in Christ. The old is gone. The new is here. And there's a word that Jesus uses and the Bible writers use, and, and we'll get into this one more next Sabbath. But there's a Bible word that is used, and the word is repentance. Now, many of you have seen this word even just outside, right? If you've ever gone to a sporting event or a concert or even just to the beach, you would have seen someone standing outside in public with a big sign that says what? Repent. Sometimes they have a bullhorn. Sometimes they have, I've seen people with their little speaker setups, like the karaoke machines, and they're preaching the gospel, and they're telling people to repent. And if they don't repent, then they're going to do what? Burn in hell, right? Here's the problem with that. When Jesus talks about repentance, he never says repent or burn in hell. He never says that. You see, the people that do that are preying on people's fears, and he says, repent or else you will spend eternity in hell. But the reality is, is that when Jesus says repent, he says repent. And these are his words, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Here's what that means. Because that's Bible, right? Bible sometimes says words that we don't use normally, right? Like kingdom, we don't use. We use government. We don't say the pizza is at hand, right? What do we say? Like pizza's here. So if Jesus was here today, he might say something like this. Turn to me, for my kingdom is here. It's present. It's a reality. It's a realm that is all around us. Now, he's not saying that heaven is here. But what he's saying is that we can begin to experience the beginnings, the birth. We can get glimpses into what eternity will be like. What's heaven going to look like? We really don't know. I know some of you are going to say there's going to be a lot of trees. There's going to be animals laying next to each other. Like, I know those Bible verses, all right? But we really don't know what eternity is going to be like. Amen? We don't. What do we know about that, though? Who's going to be there? Us, humans, and who? God. You see, because when the Bible talks about eternity and this heavenly place, what it's talking about is relationships that have been restored and reconciled and redeemed. It doesn't matter about where we're going to be or what the setting is going to look like or if we're going to just eat fruit all day long. I don't know where we get that, right? None of that matters. What matters is that we will be restored to the people God wanted us to be all along and we will get to be in the presence of God. Whatever God has planned for us is fine by me. And the reason that I know that this is true is because some of the most amazing moments we've had in our lives isn't because we went somewhere or did something specific, but it's because we were with the people that love us and that we love. Everything is about relationships. So when Jesus invites us to repent, the biblical word metanoia in the Greek, it, it doesn't, it's not this big religious term. Metanoia simply just means to turn away from. Take a turn away from the life you once lived and just put your trust in God. And so I'll finish with this very last, with this very last verse that uh, we read for scripture reading. And we're talking about baptism, and this is what Karina is due or has done today. It is her accepting the invitation. She is repenting. And remember, we think repent has this negative connotation, but when Jesus and John the Baptist and the Bible use it, she has turned away from what she was following before. She has turned away from what she thought was good and right and made sense and everything. She is turning away, not because that was terrible, but instead, she's, churned and she's turned and chosen to follow Christ because what Jesus is offering is so much better than anything she's already experienced. And so when we talk about baptism, it is a symbol that we are accepting Jesus. And this is all it says. It says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, and that's what this baptism was, were baptized also into his death? And we can't go into all of this. Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism in death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of his Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. So just as Jesus died and was resurrected, baptism is a symbolic representation of saying we have died with Christ. And what that means is that our sins have been forgiven in Christ. 
all of your sins, all of your moral failings, all of the mistakes, all of the destructive habits, everything that you've done up until the point where you've accepted Jesus, all of that is forgiven. When you are baptized, you are saying, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me and making me a new creation. And that's why the Bible writers say that you can now walk in the newness of life. Because when you give your life to Jesus, it is something that is new. It is something that is better. And it is something that will change your life for all eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful. We are so thankful that you are loving and merciful and graceful. And so we pray now that as we wrestle with some of these words, that you would give us eyes to see and our souls the ability to see you, sense you, and choose you. In your name we pray. Amen.